But that's that mentoring experience. And that's what podcasts and that's what we hope our podcast become for people is an opportunity to to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock starring, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do. But nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's, no one's, you know, there's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and, and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, nah, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do. What is up, everybody? Thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast, part two of our conversation with Dr. Sal Kidway. Uh, talking with her about her work uh, using design thinking with teachers and students at schools. Um, it was such a good conversation to talk with her about not just the process of design thinking, but how to apply it, how it applies to our process of learning, how it applies to the process of our, us having conversations, how it applies to vulnerability and showing our kids the right way to do things. So. We really, really loved that conversation. We hope you will too. Um, if you want to learn more about Dr. Kidway's work, go to designthinking.org. And if you don't mind, help us out by um, dropping a like, a subscribe, a review, a share. It would mean a lot to us to help us grow this podcast. So have a great week. Enjoy the episode. You know, a couple of weeks things struck me from what you said there, but just even thinking about your example of like designing a study habit, I would never have thought to ask, to partner the kids up and ask them to do it for someone else. I've always asked them to do stuff like that for themselves, but I've never, that's never come into my thought process to, to build that particular, that empathy piece in order to like start a conversation there to, to scaffold because, you know, the one thing, especially with those difficult conversations that we've had is that kid who automatically, as soon as someone starts talking, they're jumping in with, oh, me too, or oh, the, the opposite, they're going to argue. So are, are there, in, in that particular situation, how could you kind of walk through a process of how you would try to help kids unlearn that skill of arguing or having to jump in without really listening? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say though, just first to your other point, you know, that that's a very human thing. We don't see ourselves the way other people see us. Um, we don't see our strengths the way other people see our strengths. Um, and that's why doing things for other people can be so helpful because the way somebody else sees you is going to be so unique because I always go back to Derek Sivers, right? He says, what's obvious to you is amazing to others. And we don't think of ourselves as amazing with our strengths because to us, 
that's just so what we do that we don't see it as amazing. And so we neglect it. And so even when we have students like, you know, later do like cover letters and think about their resumes, when they're writing their like about me section, we have them use design thinking and write each other's as a draft for the person to be inspired by when going back to writing theirs. So it's just with anything, like that's why you need people around you who are going to like highlight those trends and be your advocates in that way, because we just don't see ourselves. Um, but sorry, I forgot your question. Oh, just just how you would would work on that particular skill of unlearning, yeah, uh, un, unlearning, especially that habit of having to always jump in and make the next comment, and and maybe it's just unlearning that to really be able to listen and and be more thoughtful with it. Yeah, so this to me is where Seesaw was the one tool that was such a game changer when we first introduced design thinking with students because it gave them this really safe space that felt like social media to be able to share reflections. And I cannot tell you how many times I will reference back to the visible thinking routines, the liberating structures and session lab, because let's say this is this is where you're at, right? This is such a perfect example. Okay, I want my kids to reflect on something. Okay, sure, I could sit there and try to make the question, or I could just go to the people who already have research-based strategies that work and pull one from there. So I am a really big believer in like templates, in these like prompts and not having to reinvent the wheel, but spending more time creating the experience that puts these pieces together. So one of my favorite reflection points for students after each experience is, I used to think and now I think, right? Or like, you know, even having kids, like what did it feel like to do an interview in this way? Um, what, what did you like? What did you not like? Um, what did you notice? Those are the kinds of things that give them really, really, really specific questions to think about. And you want to give them sometimes upfront, right? Like as you're going through this experience, think, like, think about like what it feels like so that, you know, afterwards we can talk about it and having the kids be able to share that in Seesaw almost just became the space that like they owned. Like, and I was just like reading in the background and it was just so nice to see them comment on each other's work. Like I love Seesaw so much. It's such a great safe space for like conversations and giving um, that space for conversation to students. And so that was, that, that's how we did it. It's constant reflection, constant reflection. Yeah, and that's, and that's, I'm, as I'm listening to, I'm thinking back to the things I've done over the last couple of years that I thought were going to be great that fell flat. And I can see that I didn't have enough structure in that particular, in those particular conversations. The other thing from what you just said that I want to come back to is something that I really struggle with, which is ambiguity. Like, I don't know if you notice this, like kind of where you are or generally around the country, but I really feel like I've had, I have students that really struggle with anything that is ambiguous. If they're not, is if there isn't exactly like this specific, like this is exactly what I have to do. I'm going to do it in this particular way. Like even just giving kids options on how to present for a project or things like that. They really struggle with that ambiguity piece. So how, how do you feel like in, in the design thinking process, do you try to overcome that fear of amb ambiguity? Yeah, I think, again, it would go back to like, I by no means want to say that I have all the answers or that I don't like I experience everything you're saying on a daily basis. Right. And I don't think there's anybody who doesn't, which is why I think like having the tools 
gives you a sense of comfort is what I would say. And knowing like, okay, I don't know how to do this. Like just yesterday I was on the phone with somebody and um, I had a question about something I needed to put together. And like, you know, like I just launched this business and I'm like, you know, I, I always say like, I'm not a business person. And one of my friends was like, well, if you keep saying that you, you never will be, you know? And so I was like, wow, thank you. But it's again, it's that language we use, you know, because yeah, like there are so many ambiguous pieces. Like how do I put this together? Like, what should I say here? What should I do here? But there's two things that go to that. First and foremost, people, I'll bring it back to relationships. There are people will support you more than you know, if you're willing to ask. Like I have found people to just be, if you are honest with people and vulnerable with people, I've just been so in awe of how many people go above and beyond. And the second part of that is like, I feel like design thinking over time, not just like, oh, I'm going to learn design thinking once and now it's done. Like having been in that space now for 10 years, it, I can say, I don't have the answers and I, ambiguity scares everybody. It's human. It, that will never go away. The only thing you can do to mitigate it is bring a sense of comfort. And you do that through having an understanding of the tools in place to support you. And so I would say that those frameworks, the more you become familiar with those like templates and like whether it's liberating structures or whether it's from Session Labs library or whatever, the more you become comfortable and have these ways of breaking down your own thinking in your hand as a toolkit, the more confident you will feel in embracing things that are unknown. Because when you have a new situation, you say, okay, let me break it down. Let me think about it in this way. And that doesn't mean you're always going to go and pull out a structure and do a routine, but it becomes a very organic way of thinking and breaking things down over time. Yeah. I mean, in, in what you said there about giving them the tools to be able to, I mean, cause, and, and I'm glad you kind of, you said that cause I'm thinking to myself as you're talking, I'm like, man, I can implement this tomorrow. And my exactly. kids are, it's going to be amazing. And I'm like, no, you're not going to just like throw this onto kids and expect that it's going to work. No, but, but you could pick one. Obviously, yeah. you don't want to go throw a bunch of stuff, but you could pick one reflection question. You could look at one activity you're doing next week and say, how might I tweak this? Or what inspiration do you get from one of those liberating structures or something like that, that might help you add some more structure to something you are already doing. And so I want to say again, though, like, I actually do believe these are things that people can implement tomorrow, which is why like, I believe in these tools so much, because you are already spending the time planning, implementing, creating, you're already doing it. It's just that there's a lot of strategies out there that are like tried, true, tested, that you can then spend more time crafting the experience. How am I going to talk about this? How do I want to present this? What tools do I want to use to best facilitate this? That to me is where your time is better spent. Yeah. Um, man, you, oh my God, my, I feel like my brain's about to explode with what you've said over the last 40 minutes, but um, kind of to, to start to wrap it up, you know, one thing that my buddy Wilkie and I always talk about and we try to express to teachers is the need for both authenticity and vulnerability. So in this and, and kind of how that really leads to better relationships. So let's just say, for example, you have me and I've let, let's just take this current situation. Like I just talked to you. I definitely want to take some of these strategies or a strategy and try to implement it with my kids. 
how would you advise me in an in an authentic way and a vulnerable way to talk to my kids about hey i'm going to introduce this thing that's new to you this is what i think it's going to do we're going to try to work through it in a way that like increases that that connection because i feel like you know we were talking at the start or even before the podcast about how how so much like especially all classes there's so much curriculum that you need to go to that it can feel like the relationship piece really takes the back burner so I guess this is a super convoluted question to really ask you know how how does being vulnerable and authentic help help build relationships within these skills that you're trying to teach kids yeah I mean I feel like I would never go into somebody else's classroom and tell them like, this is how you should be doing something. But maybe what I would say is at the end of the day, everybody knows their own students best, right? Like you're in there day in, day out. You have that relationship. You own that relationship. You own that culture. I would say it starts by finding a point of entry and that's going to be different for everybody. One of the things that I do like, if I go back to that example of Nima, and again, just because like people have done this work, like use like and build on what's already been created. Um, Nima did this, um, like, you know, she did these interviews with her students and then she later paired up with um, Justin Reich and Jill Mehta um, to do a more nationwide study. And they did two projects. One was called um, I, th- I think the one that I remember was called Imagine September, but they did two, and I don't remember the name of the other one, but basically the, they have an entire Google slide that is a presentation for how you can kind of take that first step with your students on having a conversation about just like what, like if you could imagine, like imagine September, like as in the new school year, what would it look like? And I think I would definitely like, well, we'll share that in the show notes. If you do that, like I'll find the link and we can share it here because I think I really love the simplicity with which they structured that conversation. And I think if you're somebody who wants to try opening that door, I think that's a slide deck that could give you a lot of inspiration in terms of organization and questions and all those things. I would really, really listen to that interview with Nima. Um, It was just so, so, so good. Like, I think I actually pulled a clip from it. I don't know if it's okay. I can like play it right now. Yeah. Yeah, because it literally speaks to like what we're talking about. And I hope this is the right one, but let's try. Consistently, young people are asking for school to be centered around relationships and around deep learning. Like that is what they want. And it's also what they feel like we don't do enough of in schools at all. The schools aren't structured to meet their needs as human beings. And that to me was like school, like when she said that, I was just like, whoa, like schools are not structured to meet their needs as human beings. And so I feel like there is a, it it is something to be aware of though, that even though they want this, you have to recognize that it's not common and anything that's not common is always going to be uncomfortable. So you want to find a really, really, really simple point of entry um, to just be really having people reflect on their own experiences. Like, how are you feeling about, you know, whatever's going on right now? Like, but what, what is also bringing you joy? Having them not share that as a whole class, like first thinking individually, 
then talking about it with a partner. It's again, a liberating structure, one, two, four, all, then going with a group of four people, three people, and then talking about something as a whole class. So even like not putting everyone on the spot in front of a whole group um, and giving them that time and space to reflect individually is so important. But like I said, we'll put that presentation in the show notes and I think that's a great entry point. And then, you know, like I said, just really depends on where you are and, you know, you know your kids best. And so once you understand the frameworks, the structure, the process, I feel like, I mean, teachers are learning experience designers, like they will craft that experience for their kids. Yeah. And, and as you were just saying that kind of last part, I, uh, a situation. So we were scheduled to take our eighth graders to DC um, in May, but now over the past month, DC has increased their COVID restrictions. And because of that, half of the Smithsonian's have shut down for renovations and the other half are like changing their hours that would totally take away our availability to do this. So we had to inform them yesterday that the trip wasn't going to happen. And we, and we tried to, you know, brand the message of like, we still want to celebrate you, but we just are going to do it close to home. So I'm thinking to myself, like what you said of that one, two, four, all, because, you know, I tried to have a conversation with them yesterday about it and it got super emotional. It was just very emotional. But for me, thinking about that structure of continuing to have this conversation with them about what they want to do. So they feel like they are participating in that you know, design thinking of what this particular week is going to look like, but also, you know, get them to a point where they appreciate the relationship we have with them and, and hopefully get them to a spot where they understand like that as their teachers, we tried everything we could to make this possible for them, but it was taken particularly out of our hands. So I'm thinking like, does, to be able to give them some thinking about what this celebratory week would look like, I think could be super powerful. Absolutely. I mean, and I think just something as simple as even opening the door to that to bring us back to like where we started, help somebody feel seen and heard. Like, how did this make you feel? Because I would imagine for most kids, this is like, what, how many times has this happened to them now in the last like two, two and a half years, right? So how does this make you feel? It makes me feel like, well, maybe I'll never get anything. Maybe, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, there's so many different emotions that probably circle around that aren't even maybe related to the trip per se, but are like a culmination of everything that they've experienced. But one of the books that I really that I that really helped me early on in 2020 as I was navigating the things that I wasn't able to do as we all were was a book called Life is in the Transitions. And it was written by a guy called Bruce Feiler. And he didn't plan to launch it at that time. He said it just was a coincidence. It literally came out March of 2020, I think. And he has this the entire book is basically about how you embrace change. And he has this really beautiful quote early on where he says, like, life is the story that you tell yourself. But what's more important is how you see yourself in your own story. Are you a hero? Are you a victim? Are you a warrior? Like, like who are you a lover? Like, who are you in your story? And how you see yourself is ultimately what helps you navigate change. And so I would say maybe I'll send you that quote, like it's a nice one to read with your students if you're like, mm-hmm. you know, going to have that conversation. But um, I would say you just answered to your point exactly. I didn't have to tell you how to do it. You just had to hear the tools. And now you'll put the pieces together in terms of what's right for your kids. And I think that's such an important takeaway for anyone who's listening. 
you are an educator, like you are a professional, like you need exposure and inspiration. Yes. Like we all do, but ultimately like, you know, how to do your job best. And I think that's something that's really been taken away from us over the years is this constant need, like, Oh, somebody else has to tell me how to plan my curriculum. Somebody else has to tell me how to do this. Like when I did the research at design 39 on design thinking, I think it was one of my favorite lines. She said, when I learned about design thinking for the first time, it made me, it gave language to what I already do. Educators are inherent design thinkers is what she said. And I think that's just such an important thing to remember. Like, you know, your kids, you know, your culture, you know, your environment, and you know what's best for them versus anybody else coming from the outside. Well, and I, and just, even just hearing you say that, like, makes like it it hits a special place in my heart because you do feel so much like that that we don't hear enough that like that you know what's best for your kids and for your class um and it 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 can feel like we are so the one one of the other things that I fight a lot is the the feeling of being powerless like that everything is happening to me but the more that I can embrace this myself and, and, and what you said about like, how am I telling the story to myself? How, how often am I the victim in my own story? And, and, I, and I know if I'm making myself a victim, I'm going to project that onto my kids. So, oh man, you give me so much to think about. My head's going to explode this afternoon. I'm not going to know what to do with all of it. I really appreciate like how vulnerable you are. Like, I feel like it made for such a better conversation with such great examples that I feel like even just this last one, I think like will give hopefully people inspiration to like have some of that back. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's a tough time to be a teacher. I think it just generally has been. And, you know, you were, you were talking about what kids have gone through over the last two and a half years, but I can't imagine if you had gotten into the profession sometime in the last three years, how, how difficult your journey has been. So yeah. Oh my goodness. I think, I think we're going to have to schedule a time maybe in a month or two to have you back on when, when Wilkie's back. Cause I know he's, he's super into this as well, that we can have a deeper conversation. So um, I was going to ask you what book you've been reading or what you would recommend, but you gave, you gave a couple. So, on top of that, it kind of, as we wrap up, is there a book that you think all teachers would benefit from reading? Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow, wow, wow. Um, I, I really like Lynchpin. I feel like I go yeah. back to that one so much just because until you don't really embrace that concept of like, what are my strengths? What's my unique talent? And then pairing that with how do I share and articulate that? I feel like you're always going to feel like powerless or stuck or trapped or whatever. But once you understand those, so I would actually, you know what I would say? Spark Type by Jonathan Fields. Um, Spark Type actually is the book that helped me make that decision about leaving Apple. I was very torn in between, you know, it like gave a tremendous amount of stability at, you know, a crazy time like we're in right now. And the spark type basically are different. He helps you identify what energizes you at work. 
We're all great at something. We can't be great at everything. What energizes you at work? And it's a free assessment. So you don't even have to buy the book. You can just go online and take the assessment. If you like it, buy the book. Um, and it, I read my spark type and I was like, I'm resigning. I'm done. This, this was that like missing piece. And I love things that give you the language to articulate what's inside you that you didn't know how to articulate yourself. And so the spark type really did that for me um, at a time when I was really trying to like make a lot of decisions about what I wanted to do. And honestly, some of the things you were sharing earlier, but also validating me for feeling how I was feeling. And I, and I love what you said, because, you know, really, really the space that my buddy Wilkie and I want to get into is teacher mentorship, really in those like first three years. And the number one thing we would want to share with teachers is that you have, you have gifts and you have skills that are important to the world and to your kids. And it's your job to use them to the best of your abilities. I said, I said that to my kids to start the year, like each one of you has something special that that we would be better off if you shared. So that really um, is something that really likes, like speaks directly to me. Um, another wrap up question. If you say you could put out a tweet or a billboard that every teacher would see and like take to heart, what advice would you give in that message? If you knew every teacher would like take it to heart right now that you should not have to do everything alone. Not even that you can't do everything alone. You should not have to do everything alone. And I think that's just a message for everyone. Like we should not be expecting people things to do alone. We should not be asking people to do things alone. If we want to see things like social emotional learning and we want to see, you know, new models of instruction and we want to change the way we do school, it is a collective effort, not one that should be put on everyone. So you do not have to do things alone. It is not normal to do things alone. Yeah, I think that's that's such a that's such a good piece of advice and again you're like speaking right to me cuz it's it's been a really I mean it's been a tough year. Um I've been at a school that, and I think this may be part of why I was telling you that I feel like I've kind of reached my ceiling as a classroom teacher, um, where there's, it's, it's been sort of a rudderless ship, like there's not a lot of direction, we're not, and, and I think it's because so many things have been put on us this year, that it's hard to know what the priority is, like there's just so much going on that it's been hard to, to, to figure out what I should be doing that I've started to feel like I started to feel myself like kind of just enclose around myself and say I've been saying things like I'm just going to focus on myself I'm going to just just do the things that I need to do but I have to remember that that's not like a super productive place to be as a teacher yeah I mean it depends on how you channel it right like I mean like I said I feel like a lot of people are feeling that now like I felt that exact same way early in my career which is why probably anything I say is like resonating with you in that way because I remember those experience those experiences I think have shaped who I've become and the work that I do now because it shouldn't have been that way for me as a new teacher as it should be for any teacher that's in the profession new to the profession whatever um and so I think how you channel that energy, though, is where it has the potential to grow, right? I love that. 
All right. Like, I, I mean, I could spend my whole day with you if, if, if you had the time, but um, like I said, I know we'll definitely try to link back up with you in a month or two and get Wilkie back on here. Cause I'm sure he's going to have a ton of questions. So for people that want to connect with you, learn more about your work with design thinking and designing schools, where can they find you? Yeah, I always tell people, I feel like people are, you know, have different preferences. I always tell people just go to designingschools.org and all my social handles and everything are all there. You can just pick whatever works for you. Perfect. Well, oh my gosh, it was such an enlightening conversation. I'm super excited to, you know, over the next week or so, go back through it and listen and like take my notes again. Um, Because like I, I, like this is, I, I had I had the question sheet for you, which I literally did not ask any of the questions that were on there, but I've got so many notes and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But thank you so much for uh, sharing a little bit of your time with us today. Yeah, and thank you for your vulnerability and your great questions and just creating the space for the conversation. Thanks everybody for checking out this episode of the podcast. We appreciate your support. For us, we appreciate your support for Saba Kidway. We appreciate you being in this profession, so thank you for being here. Again, it would mean a lot to us to subscribe, like, share, write a review. All those things would make a huge difference. So thank you for listening. See you again here next week.